0: It's Friday, May 31st, 2019. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Aurora Sherard came to Pittsburgh to study engineering at Carnegie Mellon University. She stayed because she saw an opportunity. An old industrial city on the cusp of a cleaner, greener, more resource-efficient future.
1: If you're trying to do something on the cutting edge, Pittsburgh is the type of place where you can actually not just do it, but work side-by-side with the thought leaders and the practice leaders who are making it happen and have made it happen.
0: For years, Sherrard pursued that opportunity as a researcher, officer, and ultimately executive director of the Pittsburgh-based Green Building Alliance. But last summer, she left that organization to head up the University of Pittsburgh's brand new Office of Sustainability – where she saw a chance to make an even more direct impact.
1: The difference at Pitt is we also make those decisions, right? So instead of just being the advocate of, oh, yes, we should do that, this and here's why, it's also and here's exactly why it's the right decision for
0: us. On this episode, we'll talk with Aurora Sherrard about leveraging the institutional muscle of a major university to advance bold sustainability goals. That's coming up. But first, a quick look at some upcoming dates on the Peck events calendar. Saturday, June 1st, is the Super Mega Volunteer Service Day, hosted by our friends at Friends of the Wissahickon in Philadelphia. In celebration of their 95th anniversary, Friends is rallying volunteers to clean up trash and replace invasive plants with native trees and flowers in Wissahickon Valley Park. There are 10 cleanup locations targeted throughout the park, hence the name Super Mega Volunteer Service Day. Peck is sponsoring one of those sites, so you can stop by our table at Sailors Grove to learn how you can better manage stormwater on your property and help keep your community's water clean. Also in Philly this month, the city's premier environmental event sponsored by dozens of the region's leading companies and attended by a who's who of local conservation, outdoor recreation and environmental leaders. It could only be the 49th Environmental Partnership Dinner hosted by Peck at the Crystal Tea Room in Center City, Philadelphia, June 13th. There will be recognizing the recently retired president of the Natural Lands Trust, Molly Morrison, and the Honorable Kate M. Harper, who championed environmental causes for 18 years as a state representative from Montgomery County. Tickets are still available via the PEC website. And all this spring and summer, there are paddling activities happening across the Commonwealth, thanks to the PA Department of Conservation and Natural Resources and the Pennsylvania Organization for Watersheds and Rivers by way of the statewide River Sojourns Program. In June, multi-day outings are planned for a number of locations, including the Schuylkill, Delaware, Lehigh, Kiskemenetis, and Connemaw Rivers as well as Perky Omen, Loyal Hannah, and Brandywine Creeks. Pretty much every corner of the state has an opportunity to get out on the water for a little while. Check out pawatersheds.org for the complete lineup. Details on all of these events we've mentioned and many others can be found in the events section of the PEC website at pecpa.org. If you're not, we will include links to all of those in the show notes for this episode. Last summer, the University of Pittsburgh opened its Office of Sustainability as a hub for campus-wide efforts to reduce waste and soften the university's environmental impacts. The office's first director, Dr. Aurora Sherrard, is just now finishing up her first year on the job. And though she's still relatively new on campus, Dr. Sherrard is well-established in the city's larger professional community around sustainability. Before coming to Pitt, she spent 11 years at Pittsburgh's Green Building Alliance. That includes three as its executive director. There, she challenged commercial property owners to cut their energy and water consumption and reduce their emissions through initiatives like the Pittsburgh 2030 District and others. We recently spoke about her first year at Pitt, how she got there, and the increasingly important role of higher education in the movement for sustainability. Walk me down that career path. Like, how did that progress? And then what brought you to the University of Pittsburgh ultimately?
1: I, I like to joke that I have a pretty direct career path. I'm a civil engineer by training. I got my bachelor's from Tulane University in New Orleans. Worked as a geotechnical engineer for two years. Wanted to go back to graduate school. When I was looking for graduate schools, my husband and I actually came to vacation in Pittsburgh in 2002, which nobody did at that time. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> we loved it. It reminded us of New Orleans in a lot of ways, mm. which is a few <laughs> That's not one
0: I've heard before.
1: <laughs> it's about the same size. Okay. It has the – people are very friendly. It has a ton of cultural amenities, different yeah. Than, yeah. than New Orleans for sure. And it, it, it just felt like a, a place that we could love just as much as New
0: Orleans. The cities that have been through a, a few sort of boom and bust cycles or other kind of <laughs> yeah. massive transformations always have a little bit more going on.
1: Yeah, exactly. We just liked the, the Pittsburgh dynamic and we miss seasons in New Orleans. Yeah. So we, we liked that, that um, in Pittsburgh. So. So, yeah, we came back. I ended up going to Carnegie Mellon for graduate school, and I, I really liked construction sites, so I was doing work on environmental impacts of construction sites. And that was pretty well connected to green buildings as leadership in environment and environmental design lead. Green Building Rating System was really coming into fruition at that time, so there was a good connection there. By the time I finished, Green Building Alliance was looking for a research manager. It was a pretty direct path right from Carnegie Mellon to GBA.
0: So as you're beginning to transition in your professional development uh, more toward sustainability work and you discover Pittsburgh, I'm wondering like, if, if at that time as you were looking for a graduate program or, or maybe more so later down the road, uh, was Pittsburgh kind of, for somebody with your set of interests, the place to be, Pittsburgh with its – you know, old uh, building stock and old infrastructure and at the same time all this new research and innovation going on in the technology space. Did Pittsburgh have a particular appeal as a setting uh, you know, for your graduate studies or, or at any point on the trajectory? What was special about this city?
1: Yeah, I mean, lots of interesting things, right? So GBA has been around for 25 years. It's one of the oldest regional green building organizations in the country. It operates at a scale and stakeholder base that's really only equivalent to the Pacific Northwest and New York City and the state of Texas. Uh, so, um, you know, there are a lot of things that have happened in Pittsburgh in the green building world specifically and then evolving that into sustainable communities and sustainability writ large. That if you're trying to do something on the cutting edge, Pittsburgh is the type of place where you can actually Actually not just do it, but work side by side with the thought leaders and the practice leaders who are making it happen and have made it happen over the past you know, 25 years, which is really great. And that's one of the things that really attracted me to moving over to the University of Pittsburgh. I had been at GBA for 11 years. Really, we were, are still doing great things at, at Green Building Alliance, and we work with them very closely still at Pitt, but I really needed that next level challenge for me and you know, that, that different scale of possible impact.
0: Well, so let's talk about what's, what's different now in your new, your new setting. Um, <laughs> Everything, yeah. Well, well, I'm interested in what you can accomplish in your field you know, on a university campus that maybe you couldn't elsewhere.
1: In a lot of ways, I still feel a lot that the way that we worked at Green Building Alliance is, is kind of the way that we do sustainability at Pitt, right? Like I end up in meetings advocating for things and better ways of approach, different ways of thinking about things, collaborating across business units and departments and sectors. We did that a lot uh, at GBA as well. The difference at Pitt is we also make those decisions, right? So instead of just being the advocate of, oh, yes, we should do that this and here's why, it's also – and here's exactly why it's the right decision for us and it's fewer steps away from that really important choice.
0: So in terms of where you fit into sort of the administrative structure, like if I want to build something on campus or I want to renovate a building or something, do I have to go through you or how does that work?
1: No, you definitely don't have to go through me, <laughs> thankfully, I think, uh, given where our master plan is going. But so this is like a lesson in a uh, university organizational chart. Um, so I report to the senior vice chancellor for business and operations, Greg Scott, and also reporting to him is the head of facilities, the head for of business and auxiliary services, the head of real estate state. So this is exactly how the university runs on a daily basis and what our strategy is for the future. Coincidentally, or or not necessarily coincidentally, I physically sit in Benetton Hall with the Mascaro Center for Sustainable Innovation, which is a faculty-driven research, teaching, and outreach center around sustainability that's been in place for 15 years. And so that's really what I love about this job is it's not just daily operations. It's really reaching back to faculty and Students And figuring out how to integrate them into um, what we're doing on campus, new ideas, new approaches, um, real-time feedback and, and projects um, that we can really use to, to sort of leapfrog over where we might be otherwise.
0: So I'd imagine you've spent the past year kind of taking stock and getting to know, you know this, this new environment, setting your goals for, for the future. Where, where do things stand with that? What have you learned in the last year?
1: That's a big question. Uh, So I would say on the goals front, I actually came in with goals. So the Pitt Sustainability Plan uh, was finalized in January of 2018. That was about a year and a half process that the University of Sustainability Committee went through uh, with an outside consultant to really create all of those goals, 61 goals across 15 impact areas. Uh, So the the goals of what I needed to do are clear. Some of them are time bound and out until 2025, 2030. Some of them are very measurable and have incremental steps on how to get there. Some of them are more generic of just, we, we'd like to do this. There's not necessarily a strategy for how, or maybe there's existing efforts already going on to approach those. So when I came in, it was like, here's your plan. Let, just go. Sort of. Oh, so you the,
0: kind of hit the, the ground running plan. then. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: I feel like instead I, I hit the ground full speed, really started trying to collaborate across campus, get... Uh, handle on where we were, what was already happening, how we could collaborate better, what strategies we needed, what the opportunities were every day uh, on things that we could be doing now and what ideas and concepts we needed to be thinking about to really put ourselves on this path that we wanted to be on by 2030.
0: So what are a few of the notable ones, like opportunities to make a big difference?
1: Uh, So many. (laughs) I would say just about every higher education sustainability director could spend their entire life focused on waste Mm -hmm. uh, if they wanted to. It's an incredibly frustrating space uh, globally right now. Recycling markets are – changing. China has changed their contamination rates that they'll accept. And it's just very confusing for consumers, for universities, for companies so I think this is a wake-up call for everybody to think, where's this really going? Should I really be buying something in this type of packaging? Mm -hmm. What should I really be doing, uh, and where is this really going at the end of its life cycle? Having just come back from uh, Scandinavia, you know, they are very diligent about repairing clothing and textile recycling, and that's not something that we're even to yet in the United States. We're still wrestling with plastics and glass Mm. and composting. So it's a very different type of conversation uh, all over the world
0: right now. Th- this may be a little bit of a digression, but is that something that figures in an educational institution like Pitt? Are they thinking about how do you Teach students the practical skills that would let you do something like mend your own clothing. Like, I don't even know where I would begin with that.
1: Yeah, so actually, Pitt <laughs> has already done that. So, there's a student office of sustainability at Pitt that has over 25 affiliated student organizations. It has a physical location in the William Pitt Union. It sits under an organization within Pitt called Pitt Serves, which is under student affairs. Hmm. Um, these organizations uh, focus on everything from fossil fuel divestment to green fund, which actually gives out money to students students to do sustainability projects, to real food challenge students, focused on animal lovers, geology club. It's like a really interesting uh, overlap of organizations that collaborate together on things. And over time, this group of organizations has done a number of efforts specifically focused on opening the, a thrift store on campus called the University of Thriftsburg, teaching students how to you know downcycle or upcycle, use textiles or repair their own clothing and things like that. So we're, we're working on that bit by bit, yeah.
0: So waste is kind of the biggie still.
1: Yeah. So waste is – a lot of people are very focused on. So composting is actually something that students have been very involved in on campus over the past several of years. And the amount of compostables that we've diverted from the waste stream has gone up in general over time. Last year we diverted about 78 tons of compostables. It was 110 the year before that. We're getting there. But we're in the process of implementing whole building scale composting collection in six buildings on campus by fall, which is not something that we've ever done before. So we've been doing all of this diversion just off of events and you know voluntary collections. We have people who will carry their compostables around campus to get them to one of our four collection locations right now. So we're trying to get that in more places for more people just to divert all of those organics from the waste stream.
0: How big of a factor in that is food, what people eat on campus?
1: Yeah. I mean the university serves – I think it's like 50,000 meals a day or something like that on campus, primarily through dining but also through other food venues and catering and things like that. So that's a huge opportunity to affect change. We have a number of very specific food goals including supporting local, fair, ecologically sound and humane food by expanding the real food challenge. I had never heard of the real food challenge before I came to a university campus. But it's essentially all the things that most people as consumers want to make in their food choices all wrapped together. Like is it local? Is it organic? You know, is it fair trade? And we sort of uh, follow all that so we actually, in our primary dining hall in Market Central, we got we had 21% real food in 2017. So we proved that it could be done on campus, and now expanding that across campus is something that we're working on over the next several of years. People also tend to be really intrigued by reuse on college campuses. You know, reusing, bring your own coffee mug is pretty obvious, but because we serve so many to-go meals, especially to students, we're exploring expanding our reusable to go container program most people have no idea what that is right so those like clamshells if you go out to eat or whatever and you know you grab sushi to go or whatever those are actually not recyclable anymore and so they're not recyclable they usually have food contamination we're partnering with an organization called Aussie who makes these systems to collect wash and reuse those clamshell-type systems, and then we can reuse them on campus. thus saving money on buying plastics or styrofoam, hopefully not styrofoam, but and then reusing it on campus and saving money there. So every new first year in 2019, we'll actually get a token to use that system. We have one collection location right now, and I think we're ramping up somewhere between three and five more over the next couple of years. And then the other thing is a lot of adults like to talk about being vegetarian or vegan. The term that most people are using toward are moving towards is plant forward dining. I like that. That's better. Yeah, right. It's like you make a choice. If you're not willing to go all in, can you make a choice or, or change a choice meal by meal, day by day that might over the course of a week, a year, actually add up to reducing your overall impacts as a person. So serving more meals that put plants at the center of the plate by decreasing animal-derived products 25% by 2025. That's a a really interesting consideration about how we do that in a way that people will actually eat it, (laughs) enjoy it, that's nutritious, and that also celebrates a lot of different cultures that you see on a college campus. Well, at the same time, clarifying recycling guidelines, continuing to divert batteries, electronics, pit surplus has long pulled off furniture and equipment and made sure that that finds a good and right home, whether on campus or or off campus as well. So really looking at all of those waste streams is something that we're getting pretty serious about.
0: And then what about uh, about efficiency then, energy side of it?
1: So facilities and housing have long been looking at efficiency gains on campus. Um, Over the past couple of years, They've gotten really serious about it. Facilities has a project right now where they're looking at 27 buildings uh, with a company called the Efficiency Network locally uh, and going through on a systematic basis and looking at energy and water retrofits in all of those buildings and implementing those changes over the next three to five years. Uh, So all of those things also because sustainability is the balance of equity, environment and economics, all of those things run through a filter of what's the payback on this? Is it actually worth it? You know, If it's a 30-year payback on this? project and we're going to renovate this building in five years anyway. Should we actually just hold this? So there are lots of considerations that we uh, go through to make those decisions.
0: You mentioned the sort of multifaceted nature of this concept of sustainability. You want to expand a little bit on the, the social component of that and the equity piece?
1: Yeah. So equity is a really big piece of sustainability. It's interesting when I talk to other sustainability directors at universities around the country, a lot of them when they see the Pitt Sustainability Plan, they said, wow, this is a lot of goals, a lot of categories, but also I'm really glad to see that it picks up uh, equity, access, food issues in a way that they have not yet been able to on their own campus. Campuses. A lot of sustainability directors just have a climate plan and that's it. That's great. But as we're making those decisions, we need to really be thinking about who are these decisions affecting in which way. I think in Pittsburgh, we're very familiar with those conversations for a lot of reasons in a way that many places around the United States have not even begun to enter into.
0: Well, you mentioned climate plans. Mm-hmm. Where does that fit into what you're doing? Is it all kind of subsumed under this broader umbrella of sustainability? Or are you really kind of focused on climate goals specifically?
1: So of the 61 goals, one of the 61 is a, a greenhouse gas reduction goal. So we have a formal 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions goal by 2030. That's below our 2008 baseline. We've been tracking this on a triennial basis since 2008. We're currently 22.2% below our baseline, which puts us on track to reach that 50% reduction goal. But a lot of the other goals roll up and support that in different ways. So we have goals for reducing uh, transportation emissions from commuting and fleet, also 50% by 2030 that supports the larger greenhouse gas emissions goal. So a lot of these are nested under that one.
0: What kind of relationship does your office have with academic departments and research centers that are working not necessarily just on climate, but on all the issues that touch upon your, your work? Do you collaborate closely?
1: Yeah. So because I'm very closely um, physically located with the Mascaro Center for Sustainable Innovation, they actually have a faculty sustainability task force that has representation from every school across the University of Pittsburgh. Those faculty members have been focusing on a number of, I say, the purple goals in the Pitt Sustainability Plan, which are exploration, things focused on research, teaching, partnerships, and innovation. And as we have evolved those over the past year, some of those subcommittees from the Mascaro Center have actually made great progress, especially we've been working on integrating sustainability into the first year, I'll, I'll say experience, but you know, sort of like all the touch points w- with first year students and how that's going to be very different in fall 2019 than it was in fall 2018. So that's been fun. And there are also ones focused on getting cross-disciplinary sustainability research and teaching going on, getting more students taking advantage of the sustainability certificate that we have for undergraduates. And then as I get to know, personally know, for faculty from different schools. We've been making connections between nonprofits, industry, and governments to try to get collaborations going on sustainability research and projects and to pursue additional funding opportunities that come up. And that's really what what I personally dig uh, about this position is those sorts of connections and really getting into these new areas of, of opportunity.
0: You mentioned some some involvement you have with student groups and just individual students, I Mm -hmm. suppose. One of the things that the sustainability organizations on the Pitt campus, as is the case in so many other universities right now, is the push toward fossil fuel divestment. Do you liaise at all between students and administration on that issue?
1: So students don't need a liaison they are fully empowered and able to navigate the university system. And I should also say that, you know, students are the primary customer of the University of Pittsburgh, right? So what I've seen across campus is there's a lot of engagement across faculty and staff with students, getting their ideas, pulling them into decision making. Students were a big part of creating the Pitt Sustainability Plan and ensuring that my position sits where it does within the university. So their voice definitely matters at Pitt. And that's really important. So So I think when students want something to change like fossil fuel divestment or I should say divestment from fossil fuels or anything else, you know, they know who to talk to. Student strategies for doing that might be different than a professional strategies for navigating the systems. But – you know, they're very good at activating a student body. And so Fossil Free Pit specifically is a coalition of a number of organizations across campus, including everybody from, you know, Students for Sustainability to Men's Rugby. So it's a really diverse group and they use their voice and they engage people when they want to engage with different levels of the administration. Fossil Free Pit actually just had a resolution that came up related to divestment where they got over 90 percent of students to say that they were in favor of it. And that went up to the chancellor and the chancellor wrote a very thoughtful letter that's on sustainable.pitt.edu that anybody can read about where we're going as an institution related to considering socially responsible investing and using environmental, social and governance and considerations for where the university's investments go.
0: You mentioned the idea of students as customers, which uh, anybody that's worked in a university setting is familiar with this concept. How much of what you do, not to be too reductive or mercenary about it or whatever, but is this part of the marketing pitch that admissions makes to its prospective customers that like is it important for students applying to Pitt that you have a really solid robust sustainability effort going?
1: So I'm not sure we've actually answered that question fully yet. Uh, One of the things that I learned over years of working at Green Building Alliance is you really have to talk about what you're doing or nobody knows. Um, And so one of the things that I started doing when I started at Pitt was let's start talking about this, right? Like we did basic things like there was a new website that the University Sustainability Committee had created and it looks amazing and we've been populating information about everything that's going on on campus. We activated a Twitter account. We created a newsletter. You know, these are pretty basic things but before nobody was talking about anything that we were doing. I also work very closely with communications at the university, creating new you know, waste signage, creating a sustainability progress report, all sorts of things, feeding stories about what's going on both for internal publications and external publications so we can just talk about what we're doing and people can know and follow the great leadership that we're trying to lay out there. I would also say in the first few months, I worked with admissions to get sustainability talking points to the Pathfinders, which are all of the students who give tours around campus. They all do that. There's a script and a, you know, a route and things like that. But just making sure that they had talking points that reflected what they wanted to talk about for the university instead of sort of like part of their script I thought was really important. So if they wanted to talk about biking, they can talk about biking. If they want to talk about green buildings, waste, water, you know, faculty, sustainability work, they have all that information at their fingertips. We have not yet integrated sustainability as a marketing pitch as part of admissions. I actually had a conversation (laughs) yesterday uh, as I was learning more about our admissions process on how we might be doing that.
0: We were chatting before we got started about uh, you just got back from a big trip to Europe.
1: Huh? Mm-hmm. I just got back from a week in Copenhagen with a side trip to Malmo, Sweden with the Pittsburgh Technology Council. There were about 10 of us from the Pittsburgh area who went to Scandinavia just to do a sustainability benchmarking trip. We saw a lot of places with green roofs, great stormwater management. You know, Pittsburgh shares those challenges with Malmo. And I think there's a lot that we can bring back both to Pitt and Pittsburgh for how to address our combined sewer overflow problems for uh, from what we saw in Namo In Pittsburgh we and in the U.S., we bury our infrastructure, but especially with stormwater, there's a way to celebrate that. We have it in abundance in Pittsburgh instead of putting it underground and just washing it away to the river and in an extreme rain event, also pulling the sewage with it. If we keep it above ground, celebrate it with native plants (laughs) and trees, that's a different type of decision that we can all benefit from in many ways, and that costs a lot less than piping it underground. There are a lot of people in the region already wrestling with these things, but I think it's great to get out of the place where you live every day and see how other people are doing it.
0: Where is Pitt on that, the green infrastructure stuff? Are you really pushing those kinds of projects? Yeah,
1: so there are a number of rain gardens on Pitt's campus that have been installed over time. We have a number of very specific goals related to water management on campus that sort of all roll up together related to reducing stormwater overflow, reducing impervious surfaces, growing tree canopy 50 percent by 2030, which is a big goal. We already have about 3,000 trees on campus. Uh, So taking that up another notch in the third largest downtown in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a pretty high goal. But all of that works together for how we manage our water. Probably the rain garden that most people in Pittsburgh would see is there's one right on the cathedral lawn, sort of like behind the log cabin. Mm -hmm. That's one of the largest
0: obviously there are all of these practical hands-on ways in which on the operation side, you can improve efficiency and reduce waste and so on and so forth. But at a university, you also have this other opportunity to really be part of shaping you know, young people and contributing to their education and the way they think about the world. Is that something that you think about consciously in your work? I
1: think so. This generation that's on college campuses is generation – well, it's a different generation. Yeah. It's, it's actually called Generation Z and they're all the things that you would think they are right they're technologically connected they're interested in achieving and they have their entire lives you know all, all of these things they're more concerned about the environment they're also more concerned about finances because college is expensive but one of the th- other things is they're very interested in getting hands-on right they don't want to just sit in a classroom or in a lab and talk about something they want to see it they want to do it they want to put their imprint on the world and that's one of the really great things, I think, about Pitt. And sustainability students specifically love to get out and do things and volunteer and explore the world and really help where they can. And the university gives them lots of opportunities to do that.
0: So what are you looking forward to in, say, the next year? What are the big challenges uh, that you're facing, uh, opportunities you're looking forward to taking on?
1: Well, some of those I can't tell you about yet.
0: Sure.
1: But I would say, you know, sustainability is all about change. And sometimes change takes time. And sometimes there needs to be a lot of planning that goes in before people are comfortable making that change in a dedicated way. So we have both short and, and long term things under discussion at the same time. I will say, you know, we just made a really big commitment to Ride Development to be the sole off taker. So buying all of the electricity from the first low impact hydro facility. Facility to be built on the three rivers in 30 years. They are in the process of designing and then building that facility to come online in late 2022. That'll represent 25% of our, the university's electricity when that happens. Our goal is 50% by 2030. So you can probably expect us to be doing more in that realm. Our efficiency work in buildings, obviously, that's never going to be in the news, probably, but we're doing a lot of things there with existing buildings, as we talked about before, that's pretty exciting and will save us a lot of money and you know, also simultaneously upgrade facilities as we go on. So that's great. But what really excites me is some of the work that we're doing with new buildings. Having come out of the building world, the university is putting out RFPs with dedicated energy and water performance targets in a way that I haven't seen anybody else doing in the region, let alone the U.S., unless they're doing a net zero building. We're very clearly calling out those performance targets and having design teams wrestle with it project by project. We're not necessarily getting all the way for for where we want to for some of those for a number of reasons when you do additions it's harder than if you build it new but we're trying and in striving for those really big goals we're getting somewhere that's still amazing so I think there will be a lot of changes at the university over the next several years both visible and behind the scenes that's what really excites me about what we're doing creating a culture of sustainability at Pitt every day every way is what I focus on every day
0: well thanks for taking the time to tell me about it
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: Dr. Aurora Sherrard is director of the recently inaugurated Office of Sustainability at the University of Pittsburgh. Learn more about their work at sustainable.pit.edu. And learn more about the Pennsylvania Environmental Council and our work at pecpa.org past episodes of this podcast are available to stream there along with videos and information on our statewide programs in energy and climate watersheds trails and recreation and sustainable economic development follow us on twitter at pecpa like us on facebook and subscribe to pennsylvania legacies in apple podcasts or your podcatcher of choice pennsylvania legacies is produced out of pack's western regional office in pittsburgh we post new episodes every other friday so keep an eye out for the next one Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Wallerson, and thanks for listening.